Hi everyone, my name is Michaela, and this is the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast, Heartfelt Consciousness, where we spotlight stories from our community to uplift the collective consciousness. Thank you for being here and enjoy the episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast. My name is Michaela. Today we have a really special guest with us. We have Angie Tiwari. Did I say that correct? You did. Beautiful, Angie. I'm so glad you're here. Please start us off with a little introduction to who you are. Of course. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be a guest on the podcast. My name is Angie Tuari. I'm based in London and I'm a yoga, meditation and breathwork coach. I specialize in diversity, accessibility, making yoga practices feel more authentic and shared with a true respect to the culture. I was raised with the practice of yoga. So I'm Indian, both my parents are Indian. And so I was raised with some of these wellness practices and yogic rituals, but then saw a very different side of yoga when I was in my early twenties, discovering yoga in the Western world. It felt like such a big disconnect and I kind of hated yoga for ages. And then I loved it and then I hated it, I loved it. I had a really interesting relationship with it until I came to, I guess, a stumbling block in my life. And I felt a lot of instability. And to be honest, I just felt really lost. And it was at that point that I noticed a shift when I practiced yoga. And that's what led me to want to deepen my practice, learn more and go and do my training, really to understand more about the practice as opposed to go on and teach people. At that point, I was not thinking about helping others. I just needed help myself. So that's kind of how I got into it and a little bit about my journey. And now I share my practices online. I have an online membership platform with over 120 classes and workshops. So we've got a global community, lots of people in the US and across Europe and the UK, which is really wonderful. And I run retreats as well across the UK and, and events around the world, just sharing the practice and hoping that people feel more included and that it's something that they can very much apply into their modern life. First of all, thank you so much for sharing. I really like that last bit there specifically, the application to modern life Mm. kind of like doesn't have to be a 60 minute general public class where you go to a studio and you, you know, you can do other things. Like there's so, there's a huge world of yoga other than asana. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I seek to do is, and this is especially with the platform, is connecting people with ancient Indian rituals that they can apply in their modern life. And a way to show people that, like you said, there's more to it than just the yoga poses, but also that it doesn't have to be on the terms of what the teacher wants to show you on that day and finding the teacher within yourself and trusting your instincts more and listening to your intuition and applying a breathing technique when you're having a panic attack on a bus. When you can't quickly turn on the yoga class, you can't quickly you know, make yourself be in that yoga pose, but you can still use the ancient wellness rituals to help you, to support you and ultimately to empower you through whatever struggle you are experiencing and that's the beautiful part of the practice I find because it's about taking it back to 
it's taking you back to your own power reminding you reminding you of that power and that it's always been within you but maybe the voice was being pushed down a little bit and it's allowing that internal voice of freedom that savior to look out for you and help you out in times of need that's beautifully put I was just having a conversation with a student the other day about how I think my if I can do one thing holding space for someone else it's that I hope that I can hold space that they see that they can cultivate their experience regardless of what I offer yeah absolutely this leads me into my next question and you kind of hinted on it a little bit so you specialize in diversity and inclusion and as a white presenting person that is something that I have really tried to focus on in my own journey because I felt as though once I realized how much there was other than the postures, I felt kind of gypped. I was like, hold on a second. No one told me about the rest of it. All I had was the first piece, right? Um, And so I really am excited to be able to talk to you about this. So when we start to look at the Western world's vision of yoga and presentation of yoga, Mm -hmm. how in your experience does that differ from what you grew up with Well, it was much more around spirituality. It was a fully, yoga is a fully spiritual practice, whether you identify as being a spiritual person or not. And that kind of is, doesn't really matter. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say that, but again, I think I stumbled on that. So ultimately yoga is a spiritual practice. And when I was growing up, and learning the practice from my parents, it was very much taught in that way. So it was things like chanting mantras at the shrine, bhakti yoga, which is the yoga of devotion. It was doing certain kriyas, cleansing techniques, cleansing practices. It was doing some yoga asan, like padmasan, lotus pose. I remember my mum teaching me that. And gomakasan arms. So when you are kind of doing a tricep stretch with your arms, one arm up, and taking a bend in the elbow and um you can either place your hand on top of just underneath the elbow to to deepen the stretch or you can bring that opposite hand underneath and try and catch the fingers from behind your back i remember that being quite a fun one that she taught us so she still teach us some poses but it was certainly a lot more spiritual and it also wasn't in a set routine or a fixed routine or a we're going to sit down and do yoga together now it was just more ingrained in our culture. And it was something that was just more part of our life as opposed to a separate practice. But then when I discovered it in the Western world, it was obviously a, this is a 30 minute, 45 minute or a one hour, mostly 45 minutes or one hour class at a gym or a studio. And the main entry point, and I think for most people, the main entry point is the physical practice. So then it's no wonder that when we talk about yoga or if you're brand new, the first thing that I hear, and I'm sure you hear the same thing is, I'm really bad at yoga. I'm not flexible at all. And that comes from the commercialization and the huge lack of understanding as to what the practice of yoga actually is it's not that person's fault for saying that because they don't know any better because all they've been presented with is the same as what I was presented with which is posture and so you think like most posture things 
that you have got to be able to get into the most complex postures in order to be good at it. And so we associate whether we're good or bad at yoga in direct relation to whether we can or can't do a posture. But we also shouldn't even be thinking about whether we're good or bad at yoga because that's not the aim of the practice. The aim of the practice is really to dive deeper within. It's to watch and observe your mind. Another common misperception is that it's to completely erase your mind from any thoughts. And obviously that feels hugely inaccessible to a lot of people. So there's just so many myths that we hear in the yoga industry that ultimately allows us to say, that's not for me. I'm not spiritual. I'm not religious. My mind's too busy. I've got things to do. It's not for me. It's too slow. And all of those things, which by the way, in those five years of me loving and hating the practice when I discovered it in the West, and then I guess rediscovered the practice from my childhood when I went to India and did my training. And I'm now fully back in that practice, which still hugely includes posture. And I love the postures, but it for me was, I was that person that was too busy. I was that person lying in, lying in Shavasana, corpse pose, the practice that you pose that you do at the end of a physical practice, which is basically lying flat on your back. I was that person lying there thinking, I'm so bored. When is the teacher? I need to go. When are they going to let us out of this posture? <laughs> and I think it's important to say that because some, there was some pull, despite that love-hate relationship, despite the ego, despite the discovery of it in the West being so different to what I'd grown up with, even though there was some sort of intense dislike, over five years, something kept pulling me back. And it's that, I believe that inner wisdom, that inner voice. I have no idea why I kept going back, but I did. And eventually the practice completely saved me and, and changed the trajectory of my life because I listened to that internal voice. So, you know, there are lots of people who are probably listening to this thinking that they only know the poses. That's okay. If, if that's how you discover it, it's okay. Because eventually it will take you to another realm and it will take you to the place that you need to be at. But it's just about when that time is. And for me, it was five years. And for other people, it's the first class they go to. And for other people, it's 10 years or three months. It, it doesn't really matter, but it's an opportunity to be true to yourself. And I think some people feel shamed of not being culturally appreciative if they're only practicing posture. But as an Indian yoga teacher, I want people to know that you're not doing anything wrong. If you really like a strong power flow, you do you, like you, you do you. But of course, understand and know that there's more to the practice. You can still get, get, get that out of a physical posture, a, a physical class. You can still get the spiritual bliss out of a really powerful flow. So yes, there are significant differences between what you've learned in the West compared to what an Indian girl growing up at home learned, but it's all about coming back to yourself. And that's a matter of timing and how open you are, um, how you get there, whether it's through breath work or meditation or reading philosophy or 
doing postures, it doesn't really matter. I think it's, it's just about starting and allowing yourself to try something new or to be disciplined with your practice. I, there are so many beautiful things I have chills that I, I, I want to speak on. Okay, first things first. Yes, I love, it doesn't matter if asana is what brings people to yoga. And I think that that was the biggest thing for me to let go of when I became this like very dogmatic, like I, well, I, I need to kind of, like you said, feeling that sense of shame almost if I didn't put myself in this box I created for myself on what it looked, it looked like to appreciate. Um, and once I kind of let that go, it was like, it doesn't matter if someone comes to, to yoga through a gym class, through 10 minutes on YouTube or through, you know, whatever, the, what's important is that they found it. My breakthrough moment was at a yoga class in a gym, people smashing down weights outside. I'm pretty sure I could hear Katy Perry singing through the speakerphones of the big gym. And that is when I had my breakthrough spiritual realization, not really sure what was happening in my head, lots of crying, lots of release and a deeper sense of you, there is something more to this practice. You have to learn more. And that's, that was towards the end of 2017 and a lot of instability, a lot of what is the point of this? And that set me on the path to finding out more the, the 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 suffering created an opening for an education that has like I said earlier really completely changed everything about me and for the better but I'm still very much on that journey and it is absolutely not a practice that is to shame people and there's a fine line between being culturally unaware and being culturally and culturally appropriating and I think the vast, vast majority of us are just culturally unaware. And I think if I saw them as two different practices, the one that I grew up with, the one that I learned in my early twenties in gyms and studios, if I saw them as two separate practices and didn't really know that, oh, this is the same thing from ancient India that I've been like learning about that's kind of ingrained in me and my ancestors are practices. My mum used to practice every morning at 5 a.m. in India. If I could make that, not mistake, but if I could not see that they were the same practice and how, who am I to make someone who is not from my culture feel guilty or, or shameful for not knowing. So with, with what I try and do is really educate in a fun and, and positive way, because the minute you start educating in a way that's blaming and making people feel guilty, Firstly, it's not kind. And secondly, they're just going to shut down. They're not going to want to learn anything from you. So I try to put a little bit of, I kind of make it a little bit tongue in cheek with some of the things I do on Instagram. And it's serious conversations, but we can have serious conversations in a lighthearted manner and in a way that allows people to ask questions and learn openly. I'm really glad that you brought that up because as you were talking about you presenting it in very fun ways, because I do follow you on Instagram. That's how I found you. I, that's something that I really love about your page. And it's really reminiscent of how I found you, which was Susanna Barbataki. She yeah. also does very like fun, engaging, like 
kind of tongue in cheek with these, these ideas. And I think that that's a beautiful, like common ground for everyone to just come have conversation. Like you said. Yeah. You have to create a space for learning and you have to create a space just how you do if you were to teach a yoga class or go into a space meditation class or whatever it might be you have to feel safe to be able to share and so much of the time people don't speak up and they're not allies because they're too scared of getting it wrong or saying the incorrect thing that's going to cause even more offense and and sometimes it is in making the mistakes that you learn but it's worthwhile making a mistake as opposed to not saying anything at all or not doing any research in it. You know, it's better to, it's better to look back and think, oh no, well, I was saying this the whole time. You know, for example, oh no, I was mispronouncing Shanti, which is a word that means peace. You often find Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti chanted at the end of a practice or maybe the beginning. And you might think, oh no, I've been pronouncing that Shanti. And it's okay because you've learned now. You don't need to feel blame. You don't need to feel feel shamed. You don't need to shame yourself. You can detach from that and you can think, okay, great. I've learned that that word is pronounced Shanti and I will do my best to make sure that I always pronounce that word correctly because it's, it's sacred and it's a way to respect the culture. And there's great importance in the way that we pronounce these Sanskrit words because of the way that the language is formed. So you can then make a change and a shift, but feeling shame and holding on to that is not very yogic of you to do. And certainly, oh, I love that. Certainly not something that I try and do. I think we shouldn't be. You know, there's a lot around white yoga teachers. This, 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 and I think that's a fair point to say because generally it is white yoga teachers who are doing X, Y, Z. But also, I don't like the idea of yoga teachers who make a great deal of effort to learn about the ancient scriptures and to learn from South Asian yoga teachers and do their best to pronounce things correctly still feeling shamed ultimately because the color of their skin because what kind of world is that if we're then creating a it's a bit of a vicious circle really and it, I, I always try to remind myself like kind of like you said if I'm really buying into these this yogic belief system that I need to apply them to myself as well. Sitting mm -hmm. in this, being mean to myself, whatever judging myself is really not what I'm choosing to buy into. So what does it look like to apply those mm -hmm. yeah. to myself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's always a practice. There's, there's always places we can, we can observe how we're acting and seek to make improvements. And while you were talking about your, your kind of aha moment in the gym with the, the Katy Perry and the weights, and, you know, it reminds me like often the suffering is what leads to really, really deep self-study and learning about yourself, because kind of, like you said, you really don't have a choice, but to move through it. Mm. And at that point, you know, I'm someone that I'm very chatty. I I'm very open I share a lot but in moments like that like a lot of people I'm sure you go inwards and you don't want to you think that by sharing with even your bestest of friends you you feel in your head sadly that maybe you're going to burden them with this information and so it'd be better if you just kept it in and of course that is never the case and sharing whether it's with 
a person or a friend or whether it's on a phone call to them or whether it's just writing things down, sharing things is so great for us. So in that time, I wasn't really sharing things with people and I didn't want the pity. And so doing my teacher training and it was obviously because I wanted to learn more about the practice, but also it was just to leave, leave the country. <laughs> I just wanted to get out of the country and go to another country for a month and then come back and have a little bit of a break, really. And how do you feel that transformed your personal practice on and off the mat? I think it plunging yourself into a situation where you don't know anyone around you can be a really terrifying but very powerful thing to do and especially if you're feeling lost it can remind it certainly for me reminded me of who I am without any of my roles attached to me or my just there was nothing I completely was stripped back and it was just me on that retreat and I made great friends and I had a really amazing time and I kind of came back to myself and remembered who I was which I think was partially through the practice of yoga and the rigid structure and the discipline that you have to have on a training and a retreat that's the kind of thing that you get but also being plunged into a situation where I was surrounded by strangers I think that was a sometimes those things that scare us the most are the ones that help us grow the most as well so that was really powerful I also lied to get on my yoga teacher training so I wouldn't advise, <laughs> I would not advise doing that but I trained in Ashtanga Yoga which is the really dynamic practice where you do a particular series of postures in a set order and one breath one movement Ajayi Pranayam the deep victorious oceanic breath. I'd done Ajayi and I'd done lots of Vinyasa which literally translates to putting one foot in front of the other, but we take it as a kind of a more dynamic practice. But I basically said I've been practicing Ashtanga for months and months because that's what they wanted you to have done. But I got there and I was really in for a shock because I'd never done that sequence before. I'd done lots of, lots of Surya Namaskar and lots of poses from the practice, but I didn't know the sequence. And so I was <laughs> plunged into, 5am starts, 9pm finishes every single day, one day off a week and doing a practice that I was having to learn. And it was really, I wasn't very strong in my body. And I've suffered with eating issues for a while, especially during the year, year, year and a half that led up to that training. So I was slim, um, but really not strong. And it's a really strong practice. So yeah, I absolutely struggled with it. And I remember messaging my mum saying, it's, this is really, really hard. But I got through it and I, part of, part of how I felt when I came back. Oh, I remember when I came back and I remember thinking, I know, I know what the secret of life is now this is the secret of life and when I was in India there were a few moments where I had these just spine tingling transformative experiences where there was this inner voice that was saying things to me 
and one of them there were a few but one of them I'll share with you which is I was doing a meditation practice and it was really really dark outside it was about 8 p.m and I was really really enjoying it but you know when you're in a meditation and you're like I'm doing it I'm not thinking of anything my head is so clear I'm so relaxed I'm doing the thing and obviously that again is attachment because you've come out of the meditation to have a little celebration with yourself <laughs> um but in that moment I kind of really slowly blinked my eyes open just to see and it was just dark in a dark room and it felt very peaceful and then I closed my eyes again and then this voice came to me and it said it's more beautiful in there in it's more beautiful in here than it at that let me say that again it's more beautiful in here than it is out there and every time I retell that story I get so emotional and I just feel complete tingles because that came from within me that voice saying that and it was just this knowing that I've come back to myself and this is what life is about and it's not about all the external stuff all the roles that we feel attached to and what society tells us it's so it was it was very 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 powerful and my life would have gone in a very very different direction had I not had that moment in the gym that then led me to India to do the training I, it would have continued to be very destructive and it would have I would have repeated patterns, I think, if I didn't have a moment to have those spiritual experiences that then have since led me to observe what patterns I have in my life and make changes for the better. I, what a beautiful like experience with your inner knowing. I got chills listening to you tell that story. Mm. I'm also extremely like imagining your experience training in India. I bet that was lovely and also terrifying at the same time. I cannot imagine not practicing Ashtanga and then going and <laughs> my friend, bless you. <laughs> um, but with all that being said, when we start to look at the Western world's pre presentation very superficial presentation of what yoga is mm -hmm. what do we what do we miss out on other than like you know that beautiful experience you just thankfully told all of us about your your ability to go so deep within that the beauty inside was so much more than what was outside of you mm. so lots of people miss out because they don't feel they tick the boxes that they think they need to in order to practice yoga which tend to be slim or strong looking basically physically athletic built and generally white and of course able-bodied and if you don't fit into those boxes because of the way that yoga is marketed it feels like it's not a practice for you or it's certainly one that if you did try out you would feel perhaps like the odd one out because you'd maybe be the only person in the room who looked that way if you're injured or if you're not able-bodied then 
it's completely out. You can't do yoga because the perception is that it is just physical practice. And so you can't take part in that. But on a deeper level, we miss out on, yes, those spiritual experiences. And you can still get that from posture. And I certainly have got that from posture. But when we think it's all about nailing the most difficult posture, we are hugely attached. And a lot of the spiritual breakthroughs and revelations come through allowing ourselves to be detached. We have a Sanskrit word for that, which is nudmama, which is detachment. How can you be detached if you don't know what you're attached to in the first place? So the physical practice and the way that yoga is presented as being purely the physical practice means that there's an attachment to getting into a particular pose which means it's harder to then have a detachment from the material body and get to that higher level of consciousness because we're too busy focusing on, we need to be good at crow pose, for example. So there's all of that. And then of course the culture is hugely missed as well. So you're not often learning from the ancient scriptures, the Vedas, the oldest texts from where yoga originated you are not reading or learning from the Bhagavad Gita. In a yoga class, when you go to a yoga class, you're gonna get movement. And if you're a teacher and you teach a yoga class and you teach the whole class meditation or pranayam, you're gonna get complaints. And that's the vicious cycle we're in because it's a, it's a, it's a supply and demand situation. And people demand or expect that yoga equals asan. They're two different things. Yoga is the massive umbrella word. And underneath that umbrella, you've got pranayam, you've got breathing techniques, meditation, you've got philosophy, you've got kriyas, cleansing practices, you've got mudras, the hand gestures or, or seals, also the word it translates to. You've got mantra, chanting, you've got so many different practices but when we think yoga we think asana asana or asana you can pronounce it either way is just one more practice under the umbrella so asana is exactly the same as meditation in the sense that it's something underneath the practice of yoga yoga is all of it and asana is one part of that so of course we miss out on all of these other practices and a lot of them tend to be the ones that are more associated with the culture and a lot of them tend to be the ones that are considered weird. And that's sad because they're considered weird, just like how they were considered weird when the British ruled India and banned yoga, made it illegal, specifically the practices that they thought were too in advantage, commas, woo-woo, or were too spiritual, or were too non-conforming to Christianity that they wanted con to convert everyone to. So that's why it's we've got to be really careful when we think about, oh, that's a bit of a weird yoga ritual is a really damaging and triggering thing to say because it's exactly what was said when India, and obviously that at the time the country was known as India and now I would say South Asia because obviously that country was then split into India, Pakistan and there are many other countries that make up South Asia. But that was something that was used against the people practicing, against our ancestors. Um, who weren't allowed to practice and now fast forward to today we have the freedom to practice an indigenous art that's been 
really morphed into something that is unrecognizable in some ways. And yes, it can still, you can still take yourself to that place, which is wonderful, but there must be so many people that never step foot into a studio or a gym again because of how intimidating they found that space when they walked in. And as a teacher, I say, I walk into studios and I feel intimidated still. And I'm brown, the practices from my culture, and I'm a teacher, so I've learned and I've got the qualification. And I still feel intimidated. I don't really go to those spaces anymore for the reason that historically I have felt intimidated. Um, and the last time I went, which was maybe a year ago or less than that, I had a similar experience. So God knows how people who have never even tried yoga and pluck up the courage to try it, I don't know how they feel, regardless of your skin color, because it can feel like a very elitist and exclusive space. Thank you for, for bringing up all of those points. Um, I, I have a lot of different thoughts. Let me collect myself for just a moment. <laughs> it's heartbreaking to me that such a beautiful and welcoming practice, which is why I found it and why it was calling to me, mm. it, it breaks my heart to think like, that people have that experience, that they do step into those spaces and feel intimidated and then probably choose not to come back mm. or touch it ever again. And it, it just, it really, I think for me personally, let me bring in my I, me, my here. Um, I think that that's why it's so important to me to also bring in these other limbs, right? Not just asana, but the other limbs so that they do know that it's really not all about that. Because for me, that was what was groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. And if someone felt like they couldn't come back to my class because of something I said, it would just, I can, yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's also just being aware of, I think, knowing that you can take it in your own time because I it, this is the thing with yoga and I think with a lot of things is that we give so much authority to the teacher which obviously is very important to ensure that we don't injure ourselves and that we're following the techniques correctly so there is that but you also as a student want to be really aware of yourself and of your body in space as it's moving or if your breath or of your heart rate, you've, you've got to be aware of that because no one else knows what's happening in you, only you do. So sometimes we also give almost a bit too much power to the teacher. And that's a whole other topic of conversation around how there have been many gurus who have acted inappropriately and taken advantage of students. And that's something that is, again, it's a, it's a nasty topic, but it's a topic we should be talking about in the yoga industry because if we don't talk about it, people aren't aware that it's happening. Um, so part of that is not idolizing your teacher or idolizing the space that you've been in. But if you're going to have that feeling of idolization, idolize yourself because you're the one that's got yourself to the place where you've been able to be so open that you have got into a particular pose that you've been working on for ages because of your discipline or of your hard work or of your openness to it or you're the one that has 
had that emotional breakthrough and crying on your mat because you've given you you've allowed yourself to feel safe the teacher can obviously create a space and that's so wonderful but don't allow yourself to to give too much of your power away and at least acknowledge and understand that you played a part in that and of course the ancient indigenous practice of yoga is really where it's at I, yes, 100%. I am so thankful that I had a teacher very early on who, mm-hmm. when I was telling her how thankful I was for her and her knowledge and her guidance, stopped me and said, everything that you see in me is a reflection of you. I haven't done anything but create space for you mm-hmm. that you didn't think you had, but was really there. So honestly, I just showed it to you, right? And I was very thankful to have that early on so that I didn't start to really attach to the teachers instead of the teachings. Yes. Yeah. Attack, that's a really nice way of putting it. Yeah. get attack, You can attach yourself to the teachings and as opposed to the teachers, which I know is probably a little bit of an interesting thing for a teacher to say, but what your teacher said to you is absolutely spot on. And so often it, it's a projection, isn't it? We're projecting in the world, into the world, what we're thinking in our minds. And so when, when we're in a space that does feel safe, we can take ourselves to different states, which can be really beautiful. Yes, absolutely. And so it's funny that we're saying that I said, you know, don't be attached to the teacher because my next question is, who are some of your favorite teachers that you've learned from that have been like pivotal in your journey? That's really difficult because I don't actually practice with really any other teachers. I have a strong at-home practice and I will take it back to the ancient scriptures. So I'm not the kind of person that, oh, there's a new book on yoga, I need to read it. I will always try and, especially around things like diversity and accessibility, acknowledging that there are blind spots for me. So yes, I am a South Asian yoga teacher, but there are many other minority communities that I don't know as much about as I would like to. And I seek to learn from those communities to ensure that when I'm teaching, I'm creating a space where they feel seen and respected. But that's not necessarily through learning from a yoga teacher. It's more doing my own research on those communities and on things like microaggressions and on things like inclusivity, overall inclusivity, not just inclusivity within the space of yoga, because I think it's not just about how someone feels in a yoga space. It's about how someone feels generally in your space. So I would say my favorite teachers are probably the ancient scriptures, like the Bhagavad Gita I dip into, uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras I'll dip into, and the Vedas, the Upanishads, those kind of books, the ancient scriptures is where I like to learn from. Because what I like to do is look at them and then think, okay, well, how, how am I interpreting this? And then how can I apply it? in today's life, which we touched on earlier. So learning from the ancient wisdom and tapping into my inner wisdom, so the teacher within me, and then applying all of that onto where I'm at today in this moment in time. So it sounds to me that you are your highest teacher. I think- Through the sacred texts, right? Yeah, and I think ultimately I, you have to keep taking yourself back to that spot because like I told you about that experience I had 
on my teacher training where that move that moment of it's more beautiful in here than it is out there I've not solidly thought that for the last five years it's been me having to come back to that because I exist in the in the material world and I have a corporate job and I run a wellness business and so it's in the application and the reminder of how to come back to yourself but I also think that sometimes the best teachers are the ones who you don't think are yoga teachers so conversations I've had with certain friends that have just had really transformative effects on me and meant that I've made pivotal pivotal decisions off the back of the conversation because there was some sort of revelation that took me to a dif different level and almost it's almost like a, a game and you're unlocking different levels within you so sometimes it's conversations with friends sometimes it's through what a lot of the time watching other people's kindness you know when I see someone who has clearly stopped and sat down to speak to a homeless person on the street and have a conversation with them that's a yoga teacher that's a, a something that we can all learn from to treat everyone the same and to take a moment to give without expecting anything in return to see the divine within everyone so ultimately in my own practice when we're talking about meditation and breath work and philosophy and movement yes I am very intuitive with those things but the openness to learn from other people and to watch other people's actions and to see the selflessness in people is that is all yoga because we need to remember yoga is a lifestyle it's a way of living as opposed to just what we see in these practices in these and in these rituals so whenever I see acts of kindness acts of service it's a reminder to live the yogic way and to always be in service of others but reminding yourself that you have also got to be in service of yourself so not in service of others and then just ignoring your own needs but doing both of those things remembering your needs honoring them respecting them seeing the divine within yourself and also extending that to those around you beautifully put and a beautiful way to kind of round out our conversation um thank you so much i have one final little tidbit before I let you go and not take any more of your time. Do you have any tips for those who are looking to maybe start to explore ways that they can bring these, these tools of appreciation for the yogic practice into their lives? I think ask yourself why you practice yoga and not the, oh, I've heard it's good for me. And, oh, you know, they say that's good for focus or I want to get more flexible at this or I just feel like I should be more respectful like actually why are you here and maybe get a notepad out and and make some notes on that because when you spend some time and figure out your why you will have so much more clarity around what this practice actually means to you and why it's so important to find ways to implement it or find ways to do it in a authentic way and find ways to be 
culturally sensitive and all those things but if you don't really know why it's just you know what's what's the point of even you're not going to get there as easily I think so take some time to to journal on it and figure that out and remember also it's not a oh I've done that course tick it's a ongoing journey of learning of evolving of seeking to understand as opposed to finding all the answers through doing one practice or watching one video it's just so much bigger than that and being being understanding of that allows you to take the pressure off yourself in having it all down immediately and being kind to yourself kinder to yourself along that whole road thank you so much I think that's a beautiful tip um I lied do you one more question is there anything you want to highlight before you go anything you're working on projects or anything that you want to speak on before we part well, everyone is very welcome to join Unearthed. So Unearthed is my wellness platform, over 120 classes and workshops. One of the workshops is actually how to culturally appreciate, not culturally appropriate. And all of the workshops and the classes are included. There's two new classes every month. Every month we have a new theme that is often a Sanskrit word. And at the end of every month, we have a monthly live online satsang, which is a spiritual discussion and a Q&A with myself. And so the membership, everybody gets a two week free trial and you can cancel at any time. So if you just wanna join and then cancel in a week, you can still get two weeks of free yoga and just enjoy and learn practicing with me and be a part of the community. So you're all welcome to that. We'll make sure that that's linked in the show notes. And if anyone wants to come to in-person things, then retreats and events I keep them updated on my website so that's tawariyoga.com for anyone who wants to check them out and if financials are not looking great and you would rather just practice online for free then there's lots of snippets of wisdom on my Instagram which is at tawariyoga and also on my YouTube there are some old classes on there there are some newer classes on there not as many at all as there are on the membership but you still have classes that hopefully if you enjoy they're free you can come back to you time and time again beautiful and yes all of this will be linked in the description so for those of you who are interested feel free to scroll down and just click right there otherwise Angie it's been such an honor to share this space with you thank you so much for sharing your time your space and your wisdom it's truly truly appreciated likewise thank you so much for your time and if anyone who's listening has any questions I'm friendly feel free to reach out to me directly I'd love to hear from you thank you so much she is very friendly reach out <laughs> have a beautiful rest of your evening Angie thank you again thank you so much